Welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast, where three brothers from three different generations talk about their one shared passion, music. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis, and I'm here today with my brother, Christian Lewis. It's a Brother, Brother podcast. And today, we're talking Leaving Neverland, the new Michael Jackson documentary on HBO. You can now listen to episodes on the BrotherPod app, which also gives you access to additional new music, music news, clips, and content that we curate for each episode. You can also interact with us directly through the TalkBack feature, ask us questions, make suggestions, and voice your own opinions. Just search BrotherPod in the App Store to download on your mobile device. As always, you can learn more about the pod at BrotherPod.com, follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Now, let's unpack Leaving Neverland. The new Michael Jackson documentary. Hello, welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. I'm Wyndham Lewis, and I'm here with Christian Lewis. It's a Brother, Brother podcast. And today we are unpacking uh, a very fraught subject, the new documentary, new HBO documentary, Leaving Neverland. Um, I watched it straight through in four hours. How about yourself? I, I did the same thing. Um, I, I, in retrospect, maybe uh, this is a pretty, pretty heavy subject matter, um, you know. And I, I will say it was an absolutely captivating uh, story. Um, but, you know, the the detail um, was really uh, a, a little bit, you know, troubling at, at um, times. I think, and uh, you know, it, it might have been broken up well. I can see why HBO um, split this into a, a two night event. Yeah, it was, a, it's a, it was a marathon and a sprint. Uh, it's, it's a very, very difficult um, watch, but it, again, yeah, like you said, it was very, it was riveting at the same time, and and um, you know, it's uh, it, it sort of, I mean, you say it leaves no question. Um, it has certainly uh, spawned uh, a million think pieces and in numerous podcasts on the subject but it, it there are still people out there um and i can't confirm whether they've seen it or not that are f- in full defense mode um of michael jackson yes. it's crazy yes and i think an important question um worth asking uh you know people who, who remain sort of in the in the um staunch defense camp here um is what 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 data would it take <laughs> to change your mind um, about this other than the, you know, pretty extraordinary um, and compelling uh, testimony of, of the two men um, who are the subject of this documentary? So I think, you know, just to, to sort of provide an overview, this was, um, it debuted uh, this year at the Sundance Festival, um, directed by Dan Reed, who, uh, as, as you point out, Wyndham, was a frontline um affiliate and a journalist. Um, and really, you know, I think that that speaks to the sort of the tone and the framing of this story. It really, it is a pretty, um, it's, it's emotionally riveting for the, the testimony of the two subjects, Wade Robson and James Safechuck, um, who claim in incredible detail and in two separate accounts that 
that Michael Jackson sexually abused them for uh, for years, nearly a decade, I think, in both cases, um, from boyhood into adolescence. And, um, you know, I, I think there are uh, a variety of ways you could approach a very challenging subject like this. Um, and I think Reed's, you know, clearly his, his sort of, um, his uh, approach was, was really to let them um, do the talking. And, you know, it, it is not a, uh, there's no narrative intervention, there's no sort of expository um, overdubbing, there's no... Uh, Visual stylings. No, it is, it is, it, it feels like you are watching a deposition. Um, it really, yeah. In, in just startlingly stark terms. Yeah, it, it's, it's, um, its tone is grim, its subject matter is grim. Um, and we, we learn a lot that, you know, uh, you know, there's been this supposition um, that comes along with being, uh, you know, with uh, multiple uh, people settling out of court with Michael Jackson, multiple court cases, very public court cases that he was involved in, that, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire, um, and that, you know, I mean, it's, you know, it's sort of, it, it's weird to think that, um, you know, sort of how banal the treatment of Michael Jackson being a pedophile uh, sort of existed as a, as a punchline of sorts. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it, you know, it's, it's kind of shameful, um, but it, it is strange. It was sort of one of those things where um, his persona was so not threatening that uh, it became a not threatening crime that was sort of widely acknowledged, if that makes sense. Yes, in a way that if something, no matter how shocking and um, disturbing it is, is repeated often enough, um, it becomes a, a, a sort of accepted um, piece of information. And I think part of that was also, uh, and, and this is, you know, part, part of that was also the... the um, faceless nature of, um, you know, uh, victims whose anonymity is protected for, um, for very obvious reasons, their children. Um, but in, you know, the, the one case you have a superstar celebrity who is beloved by, you know, millions and millions of people, um, billions. Around, yeah, billions of people around the world. Exactly. Um, and on the other hand, you have, uh, you know, I, I think there is there is a, a, an element of this first and foremost, um, whereby I, I think Americans um, and it, I mean not just Americans, but I think American culture really does sort of worship uh, at you know money and celebrity in a way that um, it, it's people are very quick to leap to as, uh, assumptions that that well of course people will be out to get him, you know, um, mm-hmm. and he's he's successful. Somebody's trying to ruin him. Um, but in addition to that, there's the fact that, you know, there's no um, there's no confrontation of, of an accuser. There are sort of these lurking rumors um, that are that are uh, you know that that surface and resurface periodically um, in uh, in court cases. I think an interesting. I'll be curious to sort of get your thoughts on this. Um, Wyndham, but like for, from my perspective, so being born in 1988, um, I would say uh, I was oblivious to the peak Michael Jackson years. Um, by the time I was aware of who he was, uh, he was a, a 
a sort of startling enough looking guy. Um, you know, his physical appearance was sort of like shocking enough to to be um, so, so unusual to a small child. I guess in my case, like I, I just didn't get. It, 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 he, he was more of a sort of anomaly and, and sort of a, a, you know, a character to, to people my age he was like a sort of a freak sort of marginalized on the on the um, kind of perimeter of, of pop culture and at that point he was you know by 1998 let's say um, staying out of the public spotlight um, in the way that that you know uh, the place that he'd spent the previous 35 years of his life. Yeah, um, you don't remember him as a person, which is kind of an interesting... Right. I mean, you remember him as an icon, as a character. A yeah, and um, um, it's strange because, you know, I, I saw the progression, um, you know, my... Uh, being born in 68, um, you know, I really remember him as a child, as I, you know, uh, my recollections are uh, from a child's point of view, but they were of a child um, who was, you know, a prodigy... Uh, who was, you know, sort of carrying his entire family, um, but you didn't know that at the time, who was just a remarkable performer. And then graduating on, and you don't know the mechanics because they're very well hidden behind a PR machine and, and, a, and a lack of transparency, uh, you know, that would is now unthinkable. Um, but you could, you know, you could keep up, a, you know, we've talked about this with other rock stars, you could keep up a level of mythology in the 70s um, that you absolutely could never do now. Um, and the mythology was, you know, child prodigy, great kid. Um, you know, he and his brothers loved to perform, so they performed. Um, and, you know, then he broke away because he was just so talented he couldn't be, um, you know, couldn't be stopped. And, and the fact is that, the you know, the inner workings of the Jackson family are pretty grim um, as they've come to light. So one question I, I have is sort of, um, you know, often I think in these circumstances you, you have these uh, sort of iconic cases um, that shift the way people perceive um, an entire dynamic. And, you know, it, I'm specifically thinking of like, um, you know, this, this uh, sort of relatively familiar concept of a parent who just is an incredibly high, hard driver of, um, of their child celebrity. Um, uh, that obviously was the case um, with Joe, uh, with the Jacksons, and and Joe Jackson, the father, who um, was extremely physically abusive, um, according to you know individually to all of the children, um, uh, and really sort of struck the fear of yeah, um, and really sort of struck the fear of of God and them, and um, you know I, I think, uh, but but I guess what I'm what I'm curious about is is it the case that in the 1970s or, um, you know, pe- people really were sort of oblivious to the fact that that was a possibility? Um, or was it really just that, frankly, nobody really wanted to look that hard? Um, nope. And nobody thought to look nice. that hard, you know. In retrospect, um, you know, you think you know, that you think you have the sort of, um, you know, intuition or, or emotional intelligence to, to think about, you know, What's what's driving these people, and and I mean the the '80s is littered with child stars going off the rails, and we're like, wow, that's what a coincidence! All these kids are fucked up. Um, well, that's really what I'm wondering. I guess is is the um, you know nobody thought to look that hard because there just hadn't been the uh, the high profile enough case of exposure. Um, I, but I you know that's that's hard for me to believe because I I just think like logically. Um, you know, and, and maybe there was more deference to the way a parent wants to raise a child um, 
at, at that particular juncture. Whereas, like, I think the first conclusion you leap to whenever you see child stars these days is, is that kid getting pushed too hard? Um, yeah. It's, it's really, it's one of the first things that I think crosses anybody's mind. Well, this is the beginning of, of that sort of data set being available because there was no... I mean, there were a few child stars Amy. that predate uh, that predate the '70s, but frankly, there weren't a lot of child stars until television really sort of blossomed into the full-grown beast that it is. And you know, you had your sort of Judy Garlands, who you know, obviously, famously went off the rails, and you know, Mickey Rooney, who lived forever. But you know, those are seem like a, a you know people of a very bygone era, and we grew up with you know. The kids on different strokes all being uh, drug addicts, and and the kids from eight is enough all being drug addicts. You, you know what I mean? And, and I suppose there was more <coughs> stigma attached to like the press wasn't as comfortable covering. Um, it was know, all puff pieces. It drug was a, and alcohol addiction. Yeah, exactly. So they they weren't necessarily going to like show you the gritty um, and sort of uh, icker and downfall of um, you know. Uh, of, of a child star, they were just going to sweep that person to the dustbin of history and never speak about them again. Absolutely, but there was two things at play there. One is, um, you know, the the mechanics of the PR machine that was churning out these child stars. The other is that, you know, I mean, up until about 1982, cocaine wasn't even addictive. So, you know, I mean, there was not the vernacular around, you know, that you have today around recovery and, um, you know, the acceptability of somebody. I mean, I remember when, I mean, this is going to sound, you know, very grandparently to you, but, you know, I remember Jack Lemon being on uh, Johnny Carson, I think, you know, sort of a famous clip. And he said, oh, I, you know, I had a problem with, with alcohol and, and I've stopped drinking as a result. And it was like a huge revelation. And this was a very you know, venerable uh, oh, gentleman <laughs> star. No, but I mean, that was a, that no, was a like shock. No, I was waiting for the second half of that story. I know. It was like, <laughs> it was like a shocking revelation. So the idea that, you know, this idea of like, um, you know, reclamation through recovery is, is a very, is much more recent than you think. Um, yeah. That said, uh, you know, we're getting kind of far away from uh, leaving Neverland. But that said, you know, this idea of, Michael Jackson sort of maturing into being a full-grown man and then, you know, sort of that tipping point, which, you know, oddly enough coincides with his, you know, the, the beginning of this sort of um, documented uh, pedophilia. Um, you know, they talk about it. These two guys were both sort of just post the bad uh, album release and tour, uh, 86, 87, is when, you know, they first met came in contact with Michael Jackson, um, you know, the, the, that was when his character sort of went from being a curiosity to being a sort of weird atrocity, um, you know, when he started, when the, you know, when the crazy rumors started happening. I mean, you, you got to remember up until that point, um, you know, he had some quirks, but he was a pretty mainstream star. It was when, it was around the bad era when he started really changing his appearance and, yeah, and and doing you know acting incredibly strangely. It's also probably when the uh, the, the twenty seven figure checks started rolling in too. Yeah, um, so there are a couple of ways to to sort of contemplate the um, the I guess the architecture that you know that sort of facilitated the the um, 
insulated, yeah. Beginning of the abuse, and you know, I, I think uh, it is it is sort of worth discussing the dynamics of his celebrity because I think that was um, such an such a key sort of facilitator. Um, you know, it, it's uh, I think uh, often been alleged, and not just about Michael Jackson, but I think anybody who sort of hits mega stardom that that really um, mega stardom is as much of a prison as it is. Um, uh, this this sort of wonderful you know pedestal on which to be um, uh, to to be sort of acclaimed and revered um, and it certainly seems that that was the case for him um, and you know this this is a it's a really difficult question because how do you how do you even begin to unwind or, or try to diagnose um, you know the the cause the sort of the nature versus the nurture um, components of of like the psychology of, of child sex abuse like this I don't think it's something you can you can it's certainly something we can't do um, I don't know that it's something that, that there's like a, a, a lot of uh, you know definitive um, research into frankly and and you've got to think that the specifics of his life played a role um, in sort of getting him to the point where uh, where you know he was both um, motivated to, to behave in this way, but more importantly, I think for the purposes of this conversation, that he was able to. Mm-hmm. Like, he had this steady stream of, of um, I mean, of, of children, frankly, that he could, uh, that he could prey upon, mm-hmm. um, which was just... I, and, you know, and for that matter, I think that really what this, what this story is about, if you had to sort of strip away the, the um, uh, you know, the sort of marquee name of Michael Jackson, like, what, what the the way this story is framed and, and presented to the, to the audience is like, this, this could be any predator. It's more alarming and it hits closer to home because it doesn't feel, it doesn't seem like such a, a freak outlier event when you yourself have probably already let this person into your living room in some context. Um, you know, y- y- every family is familiar with Michael Jackson. Everybody's mm-hmm. familiar with his music. And, um, you know, everybody remembers like little Michael and then, you know, um, handsome and, and charming teenage Michael um, and in all of these cases what you see is like uh, you sort of you, you can't help but but wonder you know to what extent um, you know his fame really fed into to his ability to um, commit these sort of vile uh, acts. Um, well, it gave him and, access and it gave him yeah. indemnification I mean the money insulates you the faint the desire for people to want to believe you and for people to, you know, livelihood depend on you, um, you know, gives people motivation to not, uh, you know, not want to search too far into what is, could be suspected. Um, you know, I think there's a, you know, there's, there's a lot of people, uh, it sounds like, um, given the information from this documentary, there's a lot of people who were enablers. There's a lot of people who were, who were, you know, a lot of people who did look the other way, but a lot of people who were incentivized to look the other way. Yeah. Um, and, and again, you know, the, the anomaly of, of this, you know, when you talk about Michael Jackson and fame is that he was probably, he probably is the most famous person in the world. Um, so it's, it's yeah. kind of, it's kind of an un so you know you you take that uh 
that fact that he is the most famous person in the world and that he has fans that are so devoted to him that they dress like him, they get, you know, surgical procedures to look like him that, you know, he, you know, influences in dance and music and, and, you know, all sorts of things for decades and decades to come. So he gives him an excuse to remove himself from uh, regular society. Like, it, it literally gives him, you know, if anybody, if he, if he were doing nothing wrong, he has the perfect excuse to live on a you know, multi-hundred-acre piece of property with no neighbors. Yes. Um, yeah, I think that that's absolutely and right. And have a ton of security. Yeah. Um, but when you combine those things with, uh, you know, with, with this specific... His pursuit. Um, uh, yeah, his, his sort of um, unusual hobbies. Uh, then yeah, it becomes it becomes downright dangerous. And you know, I'm I'm sort of interested. I wonder. We we've talked on this podcast a lot about sort of the the decline or um, uh, of, of monoculture um, as a result of, of you know the internet, I guess. Um, and and really, you know, the sort of uh, emergence of many niche markets and celebrities, which sort of prevent the the like absolute um, deification of any one um, of, of any one particular celebrity, and I, I guess you know we really don't think that this could could happen anymore, right? Well, the like decline of get a, the decline of privacy, along with the decline of the monoculture, right. uh, allows for these sets of circumstances that that particular set of circumstances to be impossible now. Um, which is which is not to say that that. Uh, this type of abuse isn't isn't replicated in other contexts. Simply that um, the yeah your your ability to to uh, sort of actually construct that amount of privacy mm-hmm. uh, for yourself is is really very difficult. Um, you know, well, I, I consider that every I mean just the single consideration that every child that was. Uh, Involved, so every child that visited Neverland, every child that was friends with quote friends with Michael Jackson, would have a camera on their phone as of eight ten years ago. Yeah, yeah, that and would be an issue. Boom, that's the end. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, yes, uh, absolutely. Um, and I, I think the other piece of this, is, as you alluded to a moment ago, was sort of the the magnetism, and this was sort of one of the really striking. Um, and, and I think challenging for, uh, for the viewer, um, sort of one of the really uh, striking parts of the documentary was sort of watching parents get lured into this trap. Um, and, you know, I think that this is where, like, the, the sort of people will be, you know, audiences will be extraordinarily quick to judge, um, you know, the, the parenting uh, styles and, and tactics and um, decisions that were made here, right? I mean, just that, that I'm, I'm anybody... Guilty. Yeah. Um, no, and it, it's it's almost impossible not to. Um, I was angry I, I with those people by the end of that documentary. I mean, I was very angry. Yes. Um, it just you know. how how could you let this happen? Um, and you know, there are so many inflection points where you think, okay, th- just walk away. Like this is, and you and you know, partly because you know, <laughs> you know, you know from the outset you know exactly the where this yeah. is going, and and um, you know, so you have. Uh, a sort of confirmation bias um, built in to uh, you know to, to each decision they're making, but I think um, 
as I was sitting at home and, and watching this with, with my girlfriend, you know, we were sort of discussing, like, really how difficult it would be to to sort of defer the, the dreams and aspirations of your extremely talented kid. And it should be, uh, we'll just take a quick second here to point out that both um, Wade Robson and, and James Safechuck were, you know, sort of remarkable talents. James Safechuck was a, was a child actor, and he was the, uh, from the Pepsi commercials that people may be familiar with, with, with Michael Jackson. Um, uh, but Wade Robson was, at, by the age of five, um, a pretty phenomenal dancer. By the age of ten, performing in arenas, um, you know, and by the age of 16, uh, he was the choreographer for NSYNC and Britney Spears um, and some of their largest tours at the peak of their careers. So, you know, he really, like, you you have... He, like Michael, was a prodigy. Yes, you have talented talented children here, um, and you recognize that you know, I, I think uh, a common, um, a fairly common occurrence is, is one hears about stories like this is that, you know, predators look for um, people to whom they can confer opportunities uh, and sort of, you know, um, confer gifts that would that would be, you know, potentially um, life changing because you want to you want to sort of I, I think uh you need to lure people in one way or another. And it isn't just about the children. It's also, of course, about um, the families. And I think that that's really what part of, I think, what was just so shocking was, like, you know, recognizing that it many parents would have made similar decisions, at least in the early stages. Mm-hmm. And you can you can challenge it and say, well, no, I wouldn't have done that, and, and that's fine, I, I think. But but the reality is, like, you know, if, if uh, a major celebrity like that offers to... to provide your kid with dance lessons and like the one thing your kid wants to do in life is is you know to become a professional dancer it's like how the hell do you say no to that Um, not only that but you lose i mean uh it changes the it permanently changes the nature of your relationship with your child if you don't say yes to that absolutely Um, absolutely and that was proven out and and you know uh Another documentary that was uh, very difficult to watch, uh, Abducted in Plain Sight, you know, with the, this was back, you know, this is a story that takes place back in the 70s, and I, and I won't go deep into the particulars of it, but, you know, the parents were compelled um, to allow the predator to take their child away by secrets that the parents were hoping to keep, and the fact that the kid was 12 years old and felt loved. And felt like they were in a real relationship, and was telling them that she needed to be with um, her her you know uh, uh, her abuser partner. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, and that's what these guys were doing. They were, if you know, there's you know, obviously borne out by the fact that they testified on Michael Jackson's behalf in two different criminal trials. Um, you know, you you see the devotion, and you know that. I mean, this is a very weird set of circumstances, but, you know, the the depth of of feeling, the depth of emotion coming from a child is, you know, that was part was unmistakable and honest. And to put this in context, it is related to the feeling, I think, that anybody um, that anybody has about, you know, learning about wrongdoing on the part of their parents or the adults around them when they were small children. It's like these are it, they are complex feelings um, and you, you could hear it in the testimony of the, the two uh, leads from, from this film who were you know 
who were describing the sort of incredibly deep reservoirs of affection that they had for him, and that it isn't entirely clear that they don't still have some shred of. Oh, absolutely. Um, and th- that is so hard to watch as, as you, you know, as, as they sort of peel back the layers and you realize the amount of sort of um, shame and self-loathing and anger and, and you know, um, that, that people feel toward themselves for having any kind of favorable feeling toward their abuser. I mean, it, it really is a, a, it, it is a question of, of, you know, manipulating these children into believing it's, it's their fault and that they're willing participants. And that's why um, I think this one, you know, this, this documentary in particular is just so persuasive um, in that regard. And, and it, it, it's really, I mean, that's one of the great complexities of, of watching and learning about this is, you know, you, you're seeing people with, you know, so with such uh, emotional, um, what seem to be conflicting emotions that aren't conflicting, they coexist. Yes. Um, yeah, and that it really is a, a, a circumstance of being able to hold two opposed contrary ideas in your mind at the same time mm-hmm. um, and, and sort of trying to reconcile those things. Um, I, I think, uh, so shall we take a quick break and come back? And, and I'd love to talk about sort of... Um, uh, the you know compare the the public reaction at the time I guess and and um, and really sort of what kind of revisionist media history we've seen uh, in in the last couple of days. Yeah, let's do that. Welcome back to Brother, 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 and today we're talking about Leaving Neverland, um, the recent HBO and uh, uh, Channel 4 um, documentary that, that chronicles over four uh, fairly harrowing hours um, the child sex abuse allegations against Michael Jackson um, to, uh, lodged by two um, uh, two now-grown men who... Um, who were uh, very close to him and, and sort of uh, some of his described um, self-described uh, friends um, who actually defended him in, in um, cases against him uh, in 2005. Um, I think, you know, we've, we've and dug into... And in the into, mid-90s as well. So. And in the mid-90s, yeah. Um, you know, I think we've, we've dug into some of the details and, and sort of the, the graphic um, description of, of um, the... Uh, the abuse itself and sort of how this uh, how this manifests through um, or is enabled by maybe uh, the you know construct of, of celebrity um, the, around Michael Jackson I think you know some of the things that have that have been particularly poignant and sort of interesting to me um, coming at this from the perspective of somebody who was a little bit too young to, to really appreciate him at his prime um, and saw him as a, a sort of very strange punchline um, for much of my uh, for much of my life um, was you know the public reaction at the time which is fairly well documented in the second um, uh, in the second half of this documentary was you know really one of disbelief 
Um, and I, I'm sort of interested, you know, in, in talking about that and sort of unpacking that a little bit, but then also, um, you know, digging into uh, how media is responding sort of in the wake of this documentary. Um, I know that, that uh, the, the, the three of his brothers were on um, Good Morning America last week uh, to sort of get out ahead of this documentary. Um, and, and they yeah, filed a $100 million suit against HBO. Yes, as uh, for for breach of a um, uh, a contract uh, for airing one of his concerts in 1994, um, which seems like a, a pretty uh, pretty big swing for the fences from a from a legal standpoint. But um, you know, we we shall see. Uh, I, I think HBO sort of shrugged it off and said, um, "We stand by the documentary." Uh, and and I think it will be you know a difficult difficult case to make, um, but it seems to me, Wyndham, that there were a few a few sort of critiques. Um, well, it, they weren't critiques; they were they were just outright denials of of um, this sort of predatory behavior on on the part of Michael Jackson, and they sort of fell into a couple different buckets. Um, one of them was uh, a. a a not very well explained argument that he himself is still a child, um, or he's emotionally a child, um, and which I guess was sort of insisted upon in a way that was somehow uh, an excuse, I guess. Um, yeah, no, that, it was an excuse that, for something that was being denied. So it, it's that was it's, extremely uh, widely held. I mean, that was something that logical people. Uh, would recite um, in back in the day that he, you know, and, and you know he, I think he perpetrated this himself, um, or his camp, you know, to a degree, did to to com- it had to have been to combat, you know, some of the allegations. But you know that Michael was deprived of a childhood because his father, um, you know, sort of, uh, uh, you know, sort of put him out on stage and and. So he didn't, you know, he was famous before he was functional, essentially, and that, you know, he was robbed of a childhood, so he wanted to ensure, um, I guess, a second childhood as an adult, but not only that, he wanted to make sure that every child in the world had, you know, the all the cotton candy and, and you know, uh, zoo animals they could, they could handle, uh, and he provided that in, a, in the... Um, you know, in his in his residence at, at Neverland, he he literally built an amusement park and zoo and candy stores on the property. And I mean, it it it's almost. I mean, it's 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 so, it's so in plain sight. It it's hard to even fathom that that this was ex- excusable. But it was basically a wonderland for children. Um, you know, created by what we now know as a, a pedophile and a predator. Um, and a lot of it was, you know, well, Michael is sort of in a, in a retarded state of, of maturity um, and considers himself a child, so it's okay. But the fact is that he was a the man, man was in harmlessness. his pity. <laughs> yeah, d- banality, uh, harmlessness, and and... And frankly, um, you know, uh, benevolence. It was well and at the time. I mean, maybe I, I to just I mean to dig into a slightly uncomfortable subject, but like describe for me. I mean, I, I was interested that there was no 
uh, I, I didn't realize that he was only married later. Had he ever dated women? Because, I mean, I think a, a pretty key component to this was the fact that it was sort of presented in a way as to say, well, he's a child, he has no sexual appetite. Correct. So it's not that he would ever uh, harm children in, these way, in, in this particular way. Um, he just, he, he sort of is asexual. The, 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 the sexuality question was sidestepped on, with a number of people. There was, you know, it, it, back in the 80s, boy, George wasn't gay. He was asexual or, or you know, pansexual. Um, Morrissey claimed to be asexual when he first came out. I mean, it was a, you know, it was a, it was a silly still a charade. Time for- but it was still, that, that norm was still attempting to be achieved. It was, you know, there was that... Um, you know, it seems absolutely absurd on its face now, but it, it, you know, people, I think somebody asked me recently if, if we knew Eddie, I mean, um, Freddie Mercury was gay back in the seventies and and early eighties. And the answer was, um, didn't come up, you know, I mean, I, again, I was a child, so, but you know, I think if I was the same age now, I would, I would be like, oh yeah, you know, um, you know that guy, he's he's married to a guy and they have kids, you know, or whatever. It, but it's um, an interesting way that this sort of um, this sort of broader framework uh, of of prejudice that like forces, um, uh, you know, the, the, he was he was exploiting so many different things willful right? ignorance. as, as yeah. part of uh, yeah. But he, that's that's really it. Is like I mean, a, a, a successful predator, I think, takes advantage of every opportunity um, to uh, to you know sort of deep in the defense um, and to, to build the defense, you know, I, I think, and sort of create the alibi and create the, the explanation um, and sort of lay the groundwork for, uh, for these terrible acts. And, like, um, you can see it in uh, the way he took advantage of his celebrity um, to reach out to the parents and persuade them mm-hmm. to give him access to these kids. You can see it um, in the way that he connected with kids it sounds like um, sort of as a, you know, as a, uh, a very immature sort of person, right? That like he was sort of connecting with kids on their level um, or. That was, or, that know, was the framework. Building that. the relationship. Yeah. Um, on, uh, you know, uh, as a, as a contemporary almost more than um, as an adult uh, or, or a figure of authority. Um, and yet at the same time, Using his authority and his his, his uh, adulthood um, to you know create separation from the parents. Um, similarly, you know taking advantage of uh, the stigma against gay culture um, to you know to sort of uh, to I guess disclaim or um, you know shape the image that that he was uh, not capable of something like this. And then I would add to that, um, it, you know, it wasn't just the the stigma against uh, gay culture. It was also, um, you know, racial racial prejudice and the mm-hmm. fact that he appealed to, um, I think, the the black community in a way that that um, you know, sort of s- uh, reminding everybody that he was a sort of champion of of um, black culture and getting it on white. Yeah, you know, he, I mean that, uh, that was or, or whatever it was. Famously, um, he broke saying, the color barrier on on MTV in 1982. Yeah, I mean that's shocking. Yeah. Um, you know, but MTV started off and apparently uh, had a policy that they weren't playing black artists, and and they were compelled by the desire to p- 
play Michael Jackson's music to then break down the barriers of, of um, other for other artists. Um, so you know there was a, a championing, um, and it, he was leveraged in that regard. So um, you know that yeah, that they is, were also required by the law not to do that. But no, I mean, no, that, that was MTV. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like. Um, you know, Lifetime doesn't have to play action movies. You know what I mean? It's it, it's uh, it was. Um, it's always a difficult question when it boils down to to programming and um, you know bias and prejudice by omission. Absolutely, um, absolutely. Uh, but that that said, you know, that's that's been true for a long time. And yeah, no, he he really sort of overcame that 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 barrier. But I mean, it just it it feels like. When you when you take any one of these pieces or, or any one of these um, uh, sort of issues that he exploited in isolation, it's easy to say, yeah, well, that's true. You know, he 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 was a, a champion of um, black culture and and uh, you know sort of triumphed over um, a lot of the the uh, sort of racial contention that that, that you know exists um, uh, in the United States, but. I think when you look at it holistically, what starts to emerge is is something much more sinister, um, and something you know really n- knowing as well. Um, and it's it's the uh, it's the sort of premeditative quality to this, I think, that really starts to um, starts to be so frightening. Yeah, the the, the analogy that I, I thought of when I was watching it was kind of. Uh, um, that of the Ray Rice incident where, you know, Ray Rice, he read about Ray Rice or, or the league read about Ray Rice's or was informed about Ray Rice's uh, action, you know, his abuse. And, and I mean, punched his fiance and he was punished. And then the video came out, you know what I mean? And I feel like that's what this documentary um, is analogous and just like to. It, uh, it's sort of like it was in the ether. Everybody kind of knew it, and it was, you know, damn that, you know, it wasn't a good guy. But this documentary, I think, is is a, a real turning point. It's going to be a real turning point in how, you know, because it's so uh, confrontational, because it is so vivid and graphic and detailed. Um, this is this is going to. I think it feels like it's going to put an end to a lot of that. Sort of um, uh, totally. wink, wink. Michael Jackson, you know, liked liked children, just, but just like the uh, Access Hollywood tape derailed Donald Trump's presidential campaign. Wow, that's tough. <laughs> um, yeah, um, um, yeah, no, but, no, I, I really, mean, I but I mean, some some people tend to be uh, <laughs> some, yes. Well, that's um, the thing. Some, some there, people are more equal than others, right? There's a there, there's a, suddenly a ton of articles. Do we cancel Michael Jackson? Do we? Stop, you know, do we run out of Whole Foods when Smooth Criminal is playing, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, people are questioning that. And, you know, the answer is, I think, you know, I, I feel like we've all, you know, that anybody with an ounce of, or any, I shouldn't say that, that that's, you know, uh, pretty demeaning, but any, that if you thought about it before, the evidence was pretty strong and you know, if you were going to quote cancel Michael Jackson, you were probably about thirty years late on that. Yeah, um, and no, that's that's absolutely right. I think there's a um, there's a pretty uh, difficult 
to justify attitude um, that, you know, well, these guys should have come forward earlier or, um, you know, I, I, I think uh, that, that there were other opportunities to stop this kind of thing. If it were real, it already would have been dealt with. Um, you're you know, pick, these you're, are all... You're picking on of, him now that he's dead. I've heard that yeah, more than these, um, a lot. Well, or, or those terrible parents is, is sort of the first utterance that you hear. Um, but again, you know, he's still a child. Uh, this is a racist witch hunt. Um, you know, they're terrible parents, or you're attacking him now that he's dead. I don't, I mean... I'd like to turn that on its ear and, and say, at, at that means he got those, away with it his whole life. At least three of those are admitting, um, you know, questionable uh, uh, behavior. You know, and and they aren't they aren't direct refutations of the issue and the facts at hand, which are the the allegations that he did this. Mm-hmm. Um, they are simply blame shifting. Uh, the, yeah, it's it's saying I'm, I've we've washed our hands of this issue. You had every opportunity to to litigate this or to to deal with this, um, and it's like, well, look, you can't blame victims, particularly I think victims of child sex abuse for for um, you know for really any of the subsequent trauma that they experience. For not being yeah. seven-year-old whistleblowers, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and in that respect, again, I think that's part of, part of what this documentary does so well, um, is, is really show you how, how much sense a lot of it made at the time um, it from, you know, from their perspective and like through their eyes. Um, and really, I think that's, uh, that's a result of, of just spending so much time listening to their very personal and vivid first-person testimony. Yeah, it's a very sympathetic portrait. You you had an interesting theory um, about the interviews themselves, which I have yet, I haven't heard anyone else advance, and, and you know, it sounded kind of wacky when I heard it, but it actually made sense. Well, just that I, I think, um, you know, the, the idea that maybe their, uh, their therapists were actually... Um, were leading this conversation. So Dan Reed, the director, uh, you know, clearly did an extraordinary job um, editing this. Uh, I, I can only imagine that it was hundreds of hours of footage um, that he was paring down um, to sort of to really tease out the, the story um, and to shape it in a way that uh, didn't didn't spend too much time, you know. Um, dwelling on the details, I think it sort of takes for granted that you know who Michael Jackson is. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not, they're not worried about sort of, you know, if you want to, if you want to understand where he was doing and what he was doing and when, um, look, you can go look that stuff up. Well, it's, um, it's interesting because, I mean, the, the, I find, you know, the, for me, the gold standard of, of documentary filmmaking is, is, um, OJ made in America. And again, uh, you know, between OJ and Ray Rice and all these things, I'm not equating the crimes committed uh, by these individuals. I'm just you know, talking about from a filmic perspective. But you spend the first uh, two hours of um, O.J. Made in America reacquainting yourself, or in your case, very much acquainting yourself with who O.J., the persona in the 70s, yeah. was. Absolutely. And this is uh, this bypasses every opportunity to do That's, that. I, I That's think how I famous Michael it. Jackson was, though, too, is that you need, you need no reminder. You could, contextually, you couldn't, you know, I mean, we could probably take you back and, and, you know, show you a little bit of history. But fact of the matter is, there's nobody who doesn't know who this guy is. Yes, I think that that part is 
Correct. Um, and he is, yeah, his, his fame sort of eclipses anyone else's. Um, I also think it just, as, as I was saying, I, I could have used more information about what Michael Jackson was doing in the 80s, what the timeline looked like, but I think the fact is it would have been a different documentary. And the one that Dan Reed really, you know, the one that he made is one that's about child sex abuse. It's not, it, like, it, it, it is, in, in part two... It becomes um, about Michael Jackson, the celebrity, the icon, the, you know, uh, the, the sort of, you know, massively famous um, superstar. But, but the first two hours of it are, are about the, uh, the experience that Personal relationships. kids have. Yeah, and it's about the, you know, and it really could have been um, about a neighbor. Uh, you know, I mean, there, there are obviously practical ways in which that, that isn't, you know, logistically possible, but like the, mm-hmm. it, it wouldn't have changed the, the weight and the, sort of the impact of, of what they were saying. It humanized um, the dynamic. And that, that I think is, um, you know, what I think, he, you know, what I think his triumph is here is he made the most effective for what, yeah. for the point he was trying to make, he made the most effective version of this. So as a, that was a very roundabout way to actually get to the answer to the question that you asked, which is that, yeah, I, I, I thought that perhaps their therapists were actually the ones leading the conversations, because there's no point at which Dan Reed's voice is, um, is caught on camera, or there is one point, I think, where there's a, uh, I think it was a, a, a male voice that you can hear asking for clarification on a question, mm-hmm. but in almost every circumstance, and I just became, like, very attuned to that early on in the um, documentary and realized, like, they could be having this conversation with anybody, and the 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 yeah, Michael Moore. The, he is not the difficulty of having this conversation for for traumatized patients. I think um, is uh, is you know sufficient that that um, I wouldn't be surprised if they were actually speaking to their therapist, or if at least they were in the room um, because the sort of vulnerability and like. Uh, how exposed these two guys are, um, I, I think, uh, emotionally is, is really, um, unusual. And it's hard to imagine that, that that's something that could just be captured casually in a conversation with a relative stranger. Mm. Um, so I guess, I guess the bottom line is we're both saying, watch this and watch it with somebody you can talk to about it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Cause it is um, you lot. may, you may even, you may even want to, you may even want to start a podcast afterwards. Yeah. Um, and so the the last thing I would I sort of wanted to touch on um, before we uh, before we scram is the sort of media reaction now. And you mentioned you know cancel culture and this idea that um, we would you know potentially revise our uh, our relationship with with Michael Jackson um, and his music. Uh, I I think you know people they're you know minds are divided about this. I think that it will be. It will be ignored. It'll be interesting to see how um, how sustainable um, the public interest is in this particular issue. Uh, I think it's probably worth noting that you know if you assume that there are people who have great conviction um, that he didn't do it, and this is sort of the quasi-religious uh, uh, obsessive um, you know fervor uh, that that is on display, you know, from some of his fans, um, who just say it's impossible. Uh, I, I sort of wonder if 
the loudest voice isn't ultimately, um, you know, the, the clearest and, and the one that uh, resonates longest, um, which is to say that, you know, yes, you have these two accusers who've, who've come forward, um, but there is no way ultimately of settling a lot of these issues and it, certainly in, like, any semi-official capacity. You know what I mean? It's, it's like you're not going to get a new court case on this subject, so there's not going to be some kind of, like, institutional legitimacy that's conferred on their accusations. They're just going to sort of hang out there. Um, mm-hmm. And I think Oprah uh, did the hour-long follow-up interview to the documentary, and I think in that respect, like, that does put some legitimacy on, you know... Um, uh, on their their claims, but it's it's really tough. I mean, you've just got to think that the people who deny it are going to deny it loudest and longest. I've, and I've, I've seen comments. You know, I, I've I'm not seen the Oprah piece yet, but I I have seen uh, people commenting on it on the internet with, uh, "Oh, wasn't this the same person who loved a million little pieces?" Yeah, um, it's so, uh, some minds it's pretty, are hard to change. Yes. Uh, some minds are impossible to change, um, which uh, which is an unfortunate thing. Um, but you know, it's it's interesting to see the sort of on one side of this is uh, the easiest story to write, and the one that I think I've seen written most frequently is um, effectively the one about the question that I just asked, which is um, the sort of meta narrative of. Um, are people going to continue to love Michael Jackson? It's like that is the safest like path to carve out because it takes no, it takes no stance. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's simply saying uh, we're going to see which way the wind is blowing in three weeks. We don't have an opinion. Yeah. Um, the, you know, another one is is which I think has been a little braver. Um, are are people who've you know come out and, and Oprah being one of them? I think for for using her platform to to sort of. To Backtrack. really engage, yeah, to engage the the victims and say, look, this is you know, um, I, we we have to talk about this. Um, Wesley Morris had a great piece that sort of uh, in, in the New York Times that that really dug into his own fandom um, and and sort of uh, adolescent obsession with with Michael Jackson um, and you know reconsidering a lot of um, uh, sort of. Uh, his, his, you know, the, the way that you can end up hero worshiping people like that, um, and then there's the uh, completely bizarre neutral like BBC uh, link that they tweeted today to you know um, a, a, an exclusive interview that we have with Michael Jackson and George Harrison from 25 years ago, which appears to just be like a really clumsy attempt to ride the wave of. Um, of publicity that the story is getting and like a totally sidetracked and like thoughtless, careless kind of, uh, approach. I don't know about your thoughts on that, but, well, but I will it seems say, like those are the, those are the choices in the cancel culture, um, which people, you know, uh, I think is, um, you know, understandable, but also to a degree absurd. If you, you know, I had this conversation earlier with a friend, if you really wanted to carry out the cancel culture to its logical ends, um, Michael Jackson does own a uh, uh, majority of the publishing on uh, the Beatles catalog. So if you really want to cancel Michael Jackson, you're going to have a ripple effect. Okay, um, you know. So it's you know, 
it, you know, it, to your decision, uh, it's ultimately going to be your indi- every individual's decision, um, you know, what they're comfortable with. But it is, uh, um, you know, the there are a lot of there's a lot of connectivity, and uh, it's a it's a more um, it's a more complex operation canceling than uh, it immediately appears. Yes, it is. Um, I think that's absolutely right. And the, you know, it is a it is a sort of macro um, uh, manifestation or version of like the the sort of complexity that you see in the two victims themselves. Because in many respects, I think his. You know, his millions of adoring fans, his billions of fans, are in a way also being fleeced and lied to. Um, and they're being told that this is something it isn't. Um, and, of course, being told that this is something it isn't is kind of the cornerstone concept of celebrity. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, the sort of mystique and, and um, you know, that comes with with fame um, and... I think you know there's there's no way to sort of uh, to pull those ideas apart, um, and sometimes uh, you're you're just going to end up having to sit with an issue like this or to sit with a, a a horrible sort of betrayal like this. So what do you say we collectively agree to give up? Yes, I was actually <laughs> just about to suggest that we give up. All right. Well, let's let's, uh, let's take a quick break and come back. Brother, brother, brother podcast. Uh, we have been talking about leaving Neverland, and now um, we are actually ourselves going to be leaving Neverland. Um, that was a really fucking brutal conversation. Um, I think a, an interesting one, and uh, one that you know ultimately uh, need, needs to be had. Um, and, and we've we've sort of uh, watched with with great interest as um, as this documentary has been received by the public and, and by the press. Um, but I think. Uh, it's time to transition to a slightly lighter topic. Um, and uh, Wyndham, with that, I'll, I'll say, uh, what are you listening to these days? Well, I have been on a documentary bender, uh, including Leaving Neverland, but I will, uh, and I, I recommend people see that. But uh, on a lighter note, um, I saw Meru this week, uh, which is um, Jimmy Chin's uh, documenting of the climbing of uh, shark fin or miru, um, a peak that had before um, this uh, 
um, before these guys climbed it had never been climbed before. And so I, this is the same people that just won the Oscar for free solo, which I intend to see this week. Um, but Miru in the meantime is on, is streaming, I believe on Amazon or Netflix. And, uh, I would highly recommend that it is a, a far from, uh, the topic at hand today. And it is, um, a very exciting story, but also, uh, really, uh, masterful, masterfully captured on film because, I mean, you think about the mechanics of, of shooting a, an ascent that's never been, um, completed before. And, and you're, you're talking about, you know, some real magic at the hands of, of people and some real, um, tests of, of human endurance. So that's what I watched, and, and I highly recommend it. Meru, M-E-R-U. And what are you Excellent. listening to? Um, I have been listening to, uh, well, watching Trigger Warnings with Killer Mike. Um, I love this show. It's a uh, it's six-episode um, series that's on Netflix, and, um, you know, he's such, a, such an engaging, entertaining um, funny and sort of non-judgmental uh or at least charming while judgmental yeah um, I was figure <laughs> non-judgmental <laughs> um, step too far <laughs> uh but you know he he is a, an extremely politically opinionated guy um stumped for bernie sanders uh in the last campaign and i believe we'll be doing so again um in this campaign uh is a huge advocate of of um, sort of social justice causes, but all I can say is whatever your politics, um, he's entertaining as hell. Uh, and, you know, his, his solutions to the public policy problems of our era involve um, uh, starting his own country in one episode um, <laughs> uh, on a former plantation in Georgia, no less. Um, he uh, decides that the real problem in American public education is that uh, school fucking sucks, um, and his solution to this problem is to basically come up with, uh, like, trade school-focused educations um, and, you know, sort of Trojan horse that into pornography. Um, so he, he's got, like, a, would say a creative vision um, that looks beyond the, the sort of typical confines and parameters of, like, what we consider normal policy ideas. Um, but they're all, it's, it's a really, like, it, it's a, it's a, sort of just funny, engaging show. Um, and if you, you know, want to spend three hours inside the mind of Killer Mike, which I very much do, uh, I think, all the time, um, this is a great way to, to, to do that. Awesome. You want to put a song on the uh, 400 million 10 best songs of all time list? Um, I do, but but really I'd like to let you uh, <laughs> to, to, to go first. You'd like me to go first. Okay. Um, well... And by the way, you can't pick a Michael Jackson I was, song right I, I was, now. Uh, that's the thing. I was so tempted <laughs> to put a Michael Jackson. It's all we've been talking about. It's so front of mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to put on uh, Mitski's "Nobody." I've been listening to the, as I said last week, I've been listening to "Be the Cowboy" on repeat, and I really love that song and I love that album. So I'm going to put "Nobody" by Mitski on the uh, on the playlist. All right, I like that. Um, I am going to add, uh, what am I going to add this week? Such a hard question. Such an unexpected question. I know, it's only been asked of you like 140 <laughs> times so far. 
Yeah, yeah, no, it, it really has. So um, I think uh, I'm going to go Beatles with... Cat- Beatles catalog is also off limits. Also week. off limits, yeah. Um, I'm going to go with Kill vs. Mame by Grimes. Um, I think that's, uh, I've, that's, I've really ca- I've, like, come around on that tune. I think it's awesome. Excellent news. All right, well, thank you for a, uh, an insightful conversation. We will talk again soon. I'm Wyndham Lewis. On behalf of my brothers, Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, thank you very much for listening to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Many thanks also to our heroic producer, Damian Kendall, and to Simon Doom for our epic intro music. Learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.